Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Drew Huffaker. Today we're going to be talking about Easter. And I love (laughs) Easter. Matter of fact, I wanted to start with our discussion. Do you have any fun Easter traditions that you do with your family? So we're kind of funny. Easter, um, we always have a big get-together and a big family dinner like normal. Um, But we usually do Mexican food instead of traditional ham and potatoes and all of the stuff that they do. So yeah, usually we just get together as a big family. I love it. I love it. Well, and the one thing that we do as a family, I know a lot of times people have like a Christmas pageant, but in our family, we do an Easter pageant. Do you? Where we actually have a play that I had written that kind of goes from the New Testament. And we talk about the whole thing leading up to the crucifixion, and then we do the resurrection, and we have all the sheets and the towels <laughs> and the you know the different kinds of fun little things oh. to add to it. And it's a but it's a wonderful way to get children and grandchildren to kind of remember the story instead of the food and yes. you know the. But I do love Easter candy. Yes, I know. Well, one thing I did not say is we also watch, we have very young grandchildren. We have 17 and a half grandchildren. One's coming in September. That is wonderful. (laughs) And so we always watch the scripture movies of the Easter story. But I'm going to follow follow Gary Stevenson, Elder Gary Stevenson's advice. And we need to show the scripture video of Christ appearing to the Americas in the Book of Mormon this Easter and make that part of our tradition this year as well. Definitely. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's something that we're talking about today in terms of how the Book of Mormon helps us to understand more about the Savior. The first thing that we wanted to do is to talk about the prophets of the Book of Mormon and how these prophets also gave us wonderful visions and understandings of the Savior's mission and what we need to do to follow him. Of course, the first one we're going to talk about is Nephi. In 1 Nephi chapter eleven twenty-seven, I know that was a few months ago when we were <laughs> reading that, but it is such a beautiful vision when he had of the tree of life, and specifically when the angel is teaching him what all of these symbols mean and how every symbol reminds him of the Savior. And he says, And I looked and beheld the Redeemer of the world, of whom my father had spoken. And I also beheld the prophet who should prepare the way before him. And the Lamb of God went forth and was baptized of him. And after he was baptized, I beheld the heavens open, and the Holy Ghost come down out of heaven and abide upon him in the form of a dove. So Nephi, as a prophet, got to see the Savior's mission John the Baptist and the Savior being baptized all, you know, 600 years before the Savior actually came to earth. And I love the fact that they had such great faith that they were actually able to see the movie, if you want to say that. (laughs) I think it is a video. They just didn't know how to explain it. (laughs) But it is pretty wonderful that they were able to bear testimony, very specific testimony about what was to happen in the Savior's life. And we talked a few weeks ago, too, about this. the gospel is the same message throughout the ages. And isn't it wonderful to hear all of these prophets through the ages that are sharing their witness of Jesus Christ is going to come to the earth. This is what he's going to do for his people. He will die and be resurrected. 
And I love that it's a solid, consistent message. And it just helps to bear record that it's true. It's true. It is true. <laughs> so the next one that we're going to talk about is King Benjamin. Yes, King Benjamin. I love him. In Mosiah chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, we can learn more about what King Benjamin told his people. For behold, the time cometh and is not far distant, that with power the Lord Omnipotent who reigneth, who was and is from all eternity to all eternity, shall come down from heaven among the children of men, and shall dwell in a tabernacle of clay, and shall go forth amongst men, working mighty miracles, such as healing the sick, raising the dead, causing the lame to walk, the blind to receive their sight, and the deaf to hear, and curing all manner of diseases, and he shall cast out devils and evil spirits, which will, shall dwell in the hearts of the children of men. And then it talks about his suffering. And lo, he shall suffer temptations and pain of body, hunger, thirst, fatigue, even more than man can suffer, except it be unto death. For behold, blood cometh from every poor, so great shall be his anguish for the wickedness and abominations of his people." And he shall be called Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and earth, the creator of all things from the beginning, and his mother shall be called Mary. Don't you love all the details that I they're do. giving? I do. And, and I love that he saw his mom and also that he knew the name. Yes. And that's pretty, that's pretty dramatic that he saw that it was Mary and Jesus, that those would be the names that they would have. Yes, I think that's so wonderful. Well, and the next one we were going to talk about is Abinadi. And Abinadi bears such a strong testimony to wicked people. And these are people that are not listening to him to the point where he knows that he's going to die. He's know, he knows that he's going to be put to death by fire, which mm, is an awful death. Terrible way to die. And so uh, for me, this is kind of bittersweet that he bears testimony of the power of the resurrection mm -hmm. because he knows what death he's going to be having. And Abinadi says, yea, even so he shall be led, crucified and slain, the flesh becoming subject even unto death, the will of the son being swallowed up in the will of the father. And thus God breaketh the bands of death, having gained the victory over death, giving the son power to make intercession for the children of men. As I said before, as I was reading this, I thought what hope this would have given Abinadi just before he died. And when he says very specifically about how, you know, the flesh became subject even unto death. I mean, his flesh is going to become subject to an awful death, just like crucifixion is yes. also an awful death. But then he also talks about the will of the son being swallowed up in the will of the Father. And Abinadi has, I know we're going to be talking about this more when we talk about Mosiah 15, but he talks beautifully about the oneness that the Father and the Son has. And he said, because of this oneness, the Son is given power to make intercession for us. And so because he gives his entire will to the Father, then the Father gives him the power to make intercession for us. And I love that vision that um, because of all of the pains and sufferings that he goes through, 
that he understands our pains, but because of that, he also helps lift our pains mm -hmm. and brings that joy and gladness into our hearts as well. Oh, I love that. And each prophet gives a tiny bit more detail, right? He's talking about the intercession he will make for us in that, in that recording that he has. Exactly. <clears throat> so, yes, also another prophet is Samuel the Lamanite. And I love that there was a prophet among the Lamanites mm -hmm. because it wasn't always the Nephites leading the way. They had their times of wickedness as well. And this is Samuel the Lamanites um, recording. And he was very close to the time that Christ would be coming to the earth. So yeah, this wasn't 600 years, years no, before. No. This is very close. <clears throat> and he says, And also that ye might know of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and of earth, the creator of all things from the beginning, and that he might know of this sign that ye might know of the signs of his coming, to the intent that ye might believe on his name. For behold, he surely must die that salvation may come. Yea, it behooveth him and becometh expedient that he dieth, to bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, that thereby men may be brought into the presence of the Lord. Yea, behold, this death bringeth to pass the resurrection and redeemeth all mankind from the first death, that spiritual death for all mankind by the fall of Adam, being cut off from the presence of the Lord, are considered as dead, both as to things temporal and to things spiritual. But behold, the resurrection of Christ redeemeth mankind, yea, even all mankind, and bringeth them back into the presence of the Lord." So isn't it so great? That's just three examples of the Book of Mormon prophets that are testifying of Jesus Christ. And the Book of Mormon is so clear and beautiful in his mission and the things that he will do while he is here. So one of the things we learn from every one of these stories is that because of Jesus Christ's resurrection, that every one of us will also be resurrected. And when you go through several scriptures in 2 Nephi chapter 9, 16 through 14, and also in Alma 11, we can learn some of the truths that we learn in the Book of Mormon about the resurrection. So first of all, we know that death is part of the plan. It's, it's very heartbreaking and it's hard for us when we lose someone close to us. But we have to understand that it truly is part of the plan, and his plan cannot come to pass without us partaking of death. Um, just think of how hard it was for Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and all of the followers of Christ. Just think how tough it would have been to watch him be crucified and tortured and then how they lovingly took care of them of him after. And it was just so touching. Russell M. Nelson has taught, Irrespective of age, we mourn for those loved and lost. Mourning is one of the deepest expressions of pure love. Moreover, we can't fully appreciate joyful reunions later without tearful separations now. And the only way to take sorrow out of death is to take love out of life. And isn't that true? That is so true. The more 
we have opposites. The more we truly love someone, we just miss them so much. And then what a sweet reunion it is when we are joined with them again. Well, and I think of how many of the apostles have lost wives. Yes. And this was actually given after the death of his wife. And as I think about that, I think, wow, what great examples, because you know that they grieve. You know how hard it must be for them. And yet, because of their testimony of the resurrection, they are able to still feel hope and joy in their Savior. Yes, and even though we know the plan of salvation, that doesn't mean we're not going to miss them every day. Oh, and we still have to go through that grieving process. Yes, yes, yes. And that hole will still stay in our heart until we are reunited with Mm -hmm. him again. So we know that all people will die, but every single person will be resurrected. The wicked, the righteous, all of us will be resurrected so that we can stand before the judgment bar of God to be judged. Um, If we were not resurrected, we would just decay in the earth, really. That's what we would do. And we would become angels to the devil, shut out of the presence of God forever. Because if you're not able to enter the presence of God as an unclean person and without resurrection, then there's no way that we would ever be able to return to his presence. God prepared a way for us to overcome physical and spiritual death, which is so wonderful. Everything truly would have been lost without that plan. And resurrected people will also have a perfect knowledge of what they did in this life. They will remember if they were wicked and the things they did, and they will also know if they loved the Lord and they tried their very best to serve him. So I think it's it's important to remember we will have a sure knowledge, a pure knowledge of how we lived. And don't we want to give a good report oh, and feel I good do. standing I in do. front of the Lord? <laughs> I don't want to feel ashamed and hide my head and in sorrow that I should have done better or I should have followed him. That's that kind of gives us a motivation to try to live for him, doesn't it? It does. It does. I think it's really significant too when we think about the resurrection to contemplate if I did not know these things, how would I feel? How would it affect my life? And we've kind of already talked about this, but I would be sad beyond words. Literally three, three weeks before we left on our mission, my mother passed away and it was, you know, a surprise. It wasn't something that even though she had been sick, it still was, was one of those events where we weren't ready for it. And it happened just before I was leaving on a mission. And for me, that just made such a huge difference at the beginning because I, my mom was my biggest fan. You know, she just... <laughs> loved me, but also it was so fun to tell her what happened because she was always like, you're glorious. You're so wonderful. You're so incredible. And so because of those things, when you talk to her, even when things were bad, you know, she would always make you feel like you were amazing and that you could do anything. Yes. And so I needed that support and she passed away just before I was going to leave. So for me, I am so thankful that I had that testimony of the resurrection. So then I asked myself, because I know these things, what did that do for me? And for me, as I left on my mission, having that hole in my heart, very raw, you know, it was, it had happened just so soon after 
no, before we, we left, that um, I, like I said, my mother always said glorious. Everything was glorious. That was her word. <laughs> I love her already. <laughs> I know. She is. She is glorious. And so for me, I had to pick a word that also helped remind me of my mother, but I also wanted it to be a word because my Portuguese was not very good. <laughs> so I wanted it to be a word that I could kind of celebrate with the members of the church, my missionaries, my love for the gospel. And so my word was woohoo. <laughs> and I and it kind of also rhymes, woohoo, the gospel's true. Or in Portuguese, it's woohoo, o evangelio e historado. So it kind of rhymes too, <laughs> a little bit. And so for me, I have a big woohoo about the resurrection. That's how I feel about the resurrection of our Savior and the fact that we too can look forward to that and have that hope. I just love that story. And do you still use woohoo? Oh, I do all the time. I'm the woohoo lady. I love it. I love it. That is so great. And what a wonderful, don't we just love our moms? They just think that we can do anything in their greatest cheerleaders. And it would be a tragedy if we did not think we would ever see them again. And if this life was all there was, that would be devastating. It really would. Well, and, and I do want to say my father too is also somebody I cannot wait to see. And I think sometimes when we think of the reality of this, that is one thing when we're preaching the gospel to other people and they read the Book of Mormon and they gain a testimony of the atonement, the resurrection, also the opportunity that they have to repent of their sins, that gives everyone hope, just yes. like you were saying. I love that. I love that. Now, speaking of stories in the Book of Mormon that can change your life, especially regarding the Savior, I think most of us, one of our very all-time favorite stories is in Third Nephi when the Savior comes to the Americas. And I try to put myself back in the position of those people that were there. The Savior had been crucified, and it had been days of darkness and destruction and wailing and cities being caught on fire and just utter destruction. And again, my mind goes back to the children. How scary and terrifying it would have been for everyone, but especially kids that don't understand really what's going, what's on. going on or yeah. how to take care of themselves. And if mom or dad passed away and their family was scattered, where do they go? What are they, they just do? hiding and crying and I just can't even imagine. So that's why it's even more special when we read what he does to the people when he appears. So in 3 Nephi chapter 11, verses 14 and 15, we can read that sweet story. He invites them, Arise and come forth unto me, that ye may thrust your hands into my side, and also that ye may feel the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet that ye may know that I am the God of Israel and the God of the whole earth and have been slain for the sins of the world. And it came to pass that the multitude went forth and thrust their hands into his side and did feel the prints of the nails in his hands and in his feet. And this they did go, do, going forth one by one. I love that part. There were a lot of people there. There were a lot of people. Over a thousand people there. And he waited until every single one of them came to him, going forth one by one until they had all gone forth 
and did see with their eyes and did feel with their hands and did know of a surety and did bear record that it was he of whom it was written by the prophets that should come. And oh, that's, that. it's just beautiful. And then we know he ministered to the children. And I love that the angels came down and encircled them about and just reassured them that everything was okay after the three terrible days that they had darkness yes to the light can you imagine you know i just think it's such a beautiful symbol of all of us coming from darkness to light as well yes and when we were just talking about resurrection and the more you love someone the more intense those feelings of joy will be when we're with them again and they had waited forever and had such destruction happen right before he came that how glorious was it when he finally came and healed them? Oh, definitely. Well, Jesus has also taken on himself my sins, my pains, my infirmities. And so I wanted to talk about three questions. First of all, what did the Savior suffer? Why did the Savior suffer? And what does his suffering mean to me? And all three of these are answered in the Book of Mormon. In terms of what did the Savior suffer, we read in Mosiah 3, 7, And lo, he shall suffer temptations, and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer except it be unto death. For behold, blood cometh from every pore, so great shall be his anguish. So we kind of already talked about this, but he suffered it all. He suffered everything. So no matter what we have suffered, He knows and understands what that felt like. Yes. And then why did he suffer? This is also Abinadi. He says, having ascended into heaven, having the bowels of mercy, being filled with compassion towards the children of men, standing betwixt them and justice, having broken the bands of death, taking upon himself their iniquity and their transgressions, having redeemed them, and satisfied the demands of justice. So why did the Savior suffer? He suffered because he has compassion upon us and charity, the pure love of Christ for each one of us. He wants us to be able to come back to him. And the only way that could happen was if he went through this process. And so for him, this I think this is really interesting when Abinadi talks about the fact that his Bowels were filled with mercy, and that mercy satisfies the demands of justice. So that's the why. And then what does this do for me? Um, Wow, it does a lot in terms of helping me understand why I'm here on earth, helping me understand what I should do every day. But he, this is what uh, in Alma 7, 12 through 13, this is what Alma taught. He may know, according to the flesh, how to succor his people according to their infirmities, that he might blot out their transgressions according to the power of his deliverance. So I can hold on to the fact that he understands what I'm going through. And that because of that, if I go to him, he will know what to say. You know, oftentimes when something really hard comes into your life, you know, you're really going through a difficult, difficult time. And somebody comes up to you and says, oh, I know how you feel. And I don't know how you feel when somebody says that. But oftentimes in my mind, I I say, no, 
<laughs> you don't know how no. I feel. You you don't know how hard this is. Yeah. And how wonderful for me to know that the Savior does. There is someone who understands you. Huh? He does. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity gave one of the most powerful, um, it, and these were actually, Mere Christianity is a collection of talks that he actually gave on the radio. And this is what he said. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means, the only complete realist. For me, that is such a powerful understanding that the Savior is the only one who has completely resisted evil. And so because of that, he knows how hard it is more than oh, any yes. other person. And I think a lot of times people think that he was oblivious to temptation, that he was somehow protected, that he never saw anything or was there times he wanted to be angry and he had to suppress those feelings. But he was able to temper himself, wasn't he? And, and he was. resist all temptation and I just love that there's one person that truly does know what we've gone through. And like you said, a beautiful part of that is he knows how to comfort us. If we're sick, if we are dealing with the loss of a loved one, if we have mental health issues and we feel discouraged and alone, did Jesus feel alone as he, oh, he definitely was on the cross alone. and was in the Garden of Gethsemane and was stripped and beaten and all of the things that happened to him, he knows what it feels like to be alone. And I love that he knows how to comfort me and you. Um, I think sometimes, too, we think about Christ as somebody who we will see in the future. And we have to remember he is here for us every single moment of our lives to comfort us, to strengthen us through the enabling power of the atonement, to help us to be the cheerleader. I bet if you could hear him speaking to you in this room today, he would be saying, Mariana, you're glorious. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and what you're doing here is glorious. Yeah. You know, um, I, agree. I, I just agree. love that he's our cheerleader. He's the person that will comfort us. He'll be there to help us. And to show us by his example the way we should go. Well, and we have these exclamations in the scriptures of Hosanna and Hallelujah. And those are also expressions of love for the Savior and how wonderful it is that he does comfort us and know how we feel. And it is a joyous thing. Yes. It is a wonderful, joyous thing. Now, the other thing that we have also in the Book of Mormon are examples of people who have been cleansed and perfected. I think it's really powerful to think about these examples in terms of our own lives, because as you already pointed out, we can see the Savior here in this life. And we have so many examples of people who did see the Savior while they were here in the Americas, while they were living. The first one that I want to talk about, we've already talked about a little bit, but King Benjamin, when he gave his address to his people, they completely changed. And I think it's powerful to think about how perfected they became after this amazing speech about the Savior. And they all cried with one voice saying, Yay, 
We believe all the words which thou hast spoken unto us, and also we know of their surety and truth, because of the Spirit of the Lord omnipotent, which has brought a mighty change in us, or in our hearts, that we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. Wow. Can you imagine that <laughs> feeling, you know, to be able to say, I don't even want to do evil. I don't even have that in my heart or in my disposition. And wouldn't that be beautiful? Because it's not just a single person. It was the whole community felt that way. And what a wonderful place that would be to live. Oh, it would. Amongst it people would. that just want to love and help each other and to live like the Savior. And I think that's what Zion right, yes. is all about. And so they truly did become a Zion-like society at that point. The next person, though, I wanted to talk about was Zizram. Now, as a lawyer myself, I think it's interesting to think of, you know, because we see a transformation for a lawyer here, where Zizram, at the, the first time we see him, he is not a, a, you know, not a nice man. Mm -hmm. Basically, he wants to prove that Alma and Amulek are telling falsehoods about the Savior and about their testimony of Jesus Christ. And so he does a variety of things trying to trick them. He obviously has an amazing facility with language. And afterwards, though, Alma and Amulek are taken to be killed. Now, Zizram then realized what he's done. And he says, no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. But they, he's kicked out of the city. So he thinks that Alma and Amulek are dead. And he is lying in a bed. He is his fever. I mean, they describe it as being he's just so hot with fever because he just thinks, what have I done? What have I done? Mm -hmm. And the beauty of this story is to think when Alma and Amulek come, this shows my heart. I would be like, <laughs> you just tried to kill me, <laughs> you know, yes. and you want me to come and take care of you. But Alma does not do that. He is a much better man than me. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes to this sick bed of Zeezrom. And he asked him some very specific questions. And Alma said unto him, taking him by the hand. And I love that image mm -hmm. I do of too. taking him by the hand. Believest thou in the power of Christ unto salvation? And Zizram answered and said, Yea, I believe all the words that thou hast taught. And Alma said, If thou believest in the redemption of Christ, thou canst be healed. And Zizram said, Yea, I believe according to thy words. And then my favorite part is he leaped up out of his bed. I mean, he was healed. And as soon as he was healed, he was so happy. He just got up and he started preaching the gospel. And we know later in the, the Book of Mormon that mm -hmm. he became an amazing missionary and went off teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. So what a powerful story. The last one I want to mention, because we had the first story of a whole people, mm -hmm. and the second story was that of a single person who had been pretty evil, who turned into this righteous missionary and testimony of the Savior. But the third is more, I think, something we can all relate to, and that's the story of Moroni. Moroni was a righteous man who was trying to do everything right. But he was asked to do something that he really didn't think he was qualified to do. And in Ether 12, it's one of my favorite parts of the Book of Mormon, because we have this conversation between him and the Lord, where he's saying, I can't do this. I read the words of, Brothers of Brother of Jared, and he is an amazing writer. 
and I am not. And the Lord's response is, you know, fools mock. You don't need to worry about this. I'm in charge. But then he gives him this beautiful counsel that I hold on to every time I'm asked to do something that I think (laughs) there's no way I can do this. Mm -hmm. He says, and if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. What a beautiful promise. And that is the enabling power of the Savior. Yes. That through him, we can become perfect. And we see that as a, a whole society in the story of King Benjamin. We see that as an a sinful individual who then completely changes. But then we also see it in a righteous man who's trying his hardest, but still doesn't feel like he's good enough. Yes. And that through the enabling power of the atonement, he does become perfect and all of us can become perfect if we rely on the Savior and his atonement. I don't think we talk about the enabling power of the atonement enough. Because it can enable us to have the power to overcome temptation, to become, to be able to overcome sin, to be able to meet a responsibility with, you know, to reflect his charity and love in the, in a calling that we're given or in our families and to do things that we would not be able to typically do on our own. And that is such another beautiful part of the atonement that allows us to do those things through the power of God that strengthens us. Um, I love the stories that you shared about people changing in the Book of Mormon. And I want to share just a couple of others that I have that are some of my favorites. Well, there's so many. We could go on and on about that because that's kind of a theme, definitely, of the Book of Mormon. Yes, and I love that. And the reason why I think is because it gives us hope that we too can change, no matter what the circumstance. If you're the wicked attorney, if no matter what it is, he, a there's a way, you know, yes. an individual, it, you're right. Yes, that we can all be healed and changed. So the one that I would like to share first is Enos. So if you think about Enos, he was Lehi's grandson, right? Mm-hmm. He is the son of Jacob. Right. So if you think about it that way, it's not very much time before you hear Lehi, you know, and go through the succession, the succession. Mm -hmm. and get to Enos. And I love that he is out in the wilderness by himself in a forest hunting. And when he's out there, the words of eternal life that his father had taught him begin to sink into his heart and his soul hungered to know truth. And I love what the Lord says, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee and thou shalt be blessed. And Enos said, Lord, How is this done? How is it done? And he said unto him, because of thy faith in Christ. And so Elder Robert D. Hales shared something with us about this story. He said, we cannot find Enos-like faith without our own wrestle before God in prayer. I testify that the reward is worth the effort. Remember the pattern of Enos's story. First, he had heard the word of God spoken and written by his servants. So he had heard the words of his father, who was a prophet. He let the words sink deep into his heart. 
He hungered for in his soul for righteousness. He was obeying the gospel laws, ordinances, and covenants. He had been righteous. He had been following his and remembered the words of his father and had been trying to follow him. And he raised his voice in mighty prayer and supplication, ask and supplication, asking in faith to know that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And and the last time, well, I think it was the last time that we had a podcast, we talked about ask, seek, and knock. Right. And what knock was. Yes. Yes. It's more of an action. You, right. it, you, you're putting more effort into it than just simply asking, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what this wrestle with the Lord is, that we really, truly want to know, and we're willing to pay that price to figure out and to find out for ourselves, our standing before the Lord, what he wants us to do, and to gain that witness for ourselves. And it's, it is worth every effort that we can make. Another person from the Book of Mormon is Alma the Younger. That's a big change. (laughs) That's the Younger. It's a massive change. So his dad is the prophet, Mm -hmm. Alma the Elder. And he was going around. He was a faithful, wonderful man. But his son was doing about everything the opposite as he possibly could. He was trying to tear apart the church. And he lived a life of worldliness and sin. And it says that he became a very wicked and idolatrous man. And he was a man of many words. And he spoke much flattery to the people. Therefore, he led many of the people to do after the manner of his iniquities. Well, and I love the way Alma describes himself because he describes himself as the vilest of sinners. Oh, wow. So, you know, that's that's a pretty, um, I mean, that's when you say that about yourself, that's a wow. He yes. must have done a lot of really bad things. Yes, and you just think his father's doing everything he can to build the kingdom. His son's doing everything he can to, to destroy right. the kingdom. And one day when he's out with his friends, the sons of Mosiah, an angel comes. And he is drunk down, and he has no strength to move. And his friends, seeing what the angel has said, he's told never. He's not supposed to destroy the king, the church anymore. And he's taken to his father. And his father, believe it or not, is kind of excited because he knows what's happening. This is an angel. It's an answer to prayer. It's an an answer answer to his prayer. Yes, it's an answer to prayer. And he gathers the priests. He asks them to pray for him for two days that he will regain his strength. And during that time, he had an incredible conversion. And when he awakens... He says, I've repented of my sins and have been redeemed of the Lord. Behold, I am born of the Spirit. So the vilest of sinners becomes one of the most valiant of missionaries and spends his entire life trying to fix the wrongs he's done and to gain more converts and believers in Jesus Christ. I think another part of that story that really strikes me is that during that time when he describes that time when he was two days with yes. it being dumb and and everybody else thought he was dead. Yes. And during that period of time, he basically reflects upon what had been taught about the Savior. So it wasn't that he hadn't been taught. Yes. You know, his father had taught him about Jesus Christ. He knew what the Savior was, who he was, what he was supposed to do. And it was reflecting on those words that brought him back and brought him back physically, but also spiritually and had him be 
born again. And I think that's such a beautiful expression, especially in this story, because literally he came back to life physically and spiritually both. And I love that once they completely are converted and turn to the Lord, they do not go back to their old ways. They are 100% in fighting for the Lord and on his side to build his kingdom. The last story I want to share is the story of the anti-Nephi Lehi's. And so we know that they had been a people previous to that. They had murdered. They had done all kinds of things. But once they were converted, they laid down. And I think it's interesting the way they describe their weapons. It says they laid down their weapons of their rebellion burying them deep in the earth as a testimony to God that they would never use their weapons again. In so doing, they promised to follow God's teachings and never go back on their commitment. So isn't that incredible? What are the, what are some of the weapons of our rebellion that we need to dig a deep hole and throw them in and promise that we're never going to go back to again? Well, President Nelson always talks about those favorite sins (laughs) that all of us have. Yes. And I think all of us do have those things that we just constantly go back and sin again and do it again and do it again. And so those are things that we need to bury. And Mm -hmm. we can't stop doing those things usually unless we have the help of the Savior. Yes. Without his help, we would constantly be going back. And doing those same things over and over. Yes, I think that that's very true. And because of all the stories that you shared and the stories that we have found throughout the Book of Mormon, we know that we have the power to change ourselves. And the whole reason those stories are shared is is because they want to share the good news of what happened to them and that it's possible for all of us to change. Well, the very end of the Book of Mormon in Moroni 10 This is the essence of what we learn in the Book of Mormon. It says, Yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in him, and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And if you shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you, that by his grace, which is his enabling power, ye may be perfect in Christ." And if by the grace of God ye are perfect in Christ, ye can in no wise deny the power of God. Now that is what we hope for you this Easter season, that you will have the same beautiful testimony that these other prophets of the Book of Mormon have had, but also people who have changed and become perfected through the enabling power of atonement. That these people all had the same experience that each one of us can have individually as we come into Christ and we are perfected in him and have that unshakable faith that he is our savior and our redeemer. And sisters, we want you to know we love you. We think you're wonderful and we hope to see you again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Happy Easter. Happy Mm -hmm. Easter.